Hey, what's up, everybody? Hope you're having a fantastic day. It is raining outside as I record this, but let me introduce my guest today. Lisa Fetterman is the founder and CEO of Namaku. Her company, Namaku, is bringing sous vide machines to the world, traditionally an expensive technical instrument used by professional chefs in kitchens and restaurants at the top of the heap. Now anyone can do it and create amazing food for themselves. We talk all about how it works, where the inspiration came from, how she did it as a first-time entrepreneur starting at the age of 22. It is an inspirational story, and she has a lot of energy and spunk that I admire and hope that you can emulate yourselves. If you want to get more of that energy, make sure you head over to goingdeepwithaaron.com event and sign up for the Going Deep Summit January 27th in Pittsburgh. It is going to be a hell of a time. A lot of fantastic people like Lisa will be there. Unfortunately, she's all the way over in San Francisco. We can't bring her out for this one, but hopefully someday in the near future. Until then, this conversation will hold you over. Here is my conversation with Lisa Fetterman. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. So Lisa, thank you so much for coming on Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I am so excited to be talking with you today. Hey, Aaron, what's up? Not much. I'm not much of a cook myself, but I have a lot of people in my life who are very skilled in the culinary arts. And I know that this is going to be really interesting for them. And I have the base kind of understanding to to start to get a grip. But I'm, I, want to, I want you to educate me both on what your company is doing and what sous vide is. So I think that's actually the best place to start just for the listeners out there. What is sous vide? And am I even pronouncing it correctly? Sure, you did pronounce it correctly. And you know, I invented the machine for the home, especially for folks like you who are interested in food but can't really cook. So sous vide is, um, it means under vacuum in French, but really what it's all about is precise temperature cooking. It's all about cooking below 100 degrees Celsius, which is where all the delicious chemical reactions happen. So what happens is that our machine clips onto a pot that you already own. It circulates the water to a precise temperature. You put your food in a bag, a Ziploc bag, and then drop it in the water and cook it and walk away. That's it. It's like the most simple way to cook, and it's the most also elite way to cook. Every single top restaurant in the world uses my machine, whether it's Noma, Saison, Restaurant Meadowood, Jose Andres. They all use it because it de- uh, delivers amazing results every single time. So, for example, why would somebody sous vide? Um, at 57 degrees Celsius, when you cook steak like that, the fat and the collagen melts into the muscle, making each bite juicy, tender, and delicious. It's like out of control good. And then you would finish it and sear it in the pan for 30 seconds on each side. And it's the most easy thing to do. And it brings people who don't know how to cook a lot of joy because it's basically foolproof cooking. You really can't mess it up because it's already at the perfect temperature. I think I made a mistake not eating before this interview because I'm already hungry and I think we have a lot of time to go. But what I what I want to explore, you, you referenced these top kitchens and, and top restaurants around the world that use this technique and what has made this for previously unattainable for the average home cook is that it's very expensive equipment usually used for sous vide. Can you talk about how you first got introduced to the technology and the prohibitive price that you found when you were digging a little bit deeper? Uh, Absolutely. I was going to college and I believe I was around like 
17, 18 at the time, um, I really, really wanted to work for these top chefs. Um, for me, especially, it was Mario Batali. His restaurant, Baba, was right next to NYU, and I went into the restaurant. I spoke fluent Italian at the time. I had my scholarship from <laughs> the Sons of Italy for Excellence in Italian to go to college. And I begged for a job in Italian, and I got one on the spot. From there, I was able to work at any place I wanted to because Baba was so prestigious. Um, I worked at Jean-Georges, I went to Cezanne in San Francisco, and every, every Michelin star place had this huge hulking piece of laboratory equipment, bar none, and they would cook so many aspects of their components inside of it. It was over $2,000, it was the size of my torso, very, very difficult to use. There's no like um, user-friendly experience, basically, because these machines were originally made for giant laboratories to make protein stable for vaccines, etc. And we found out, you know, <laughs> by messing around within the kitchen that it is exceptionally powerful. So if you think about fire, we've been trying to control fire for cooking ever since we invented it. Whether you buy a really expensive stove or copper pots, it's all about that even heating. You'll hear it over and over again. That heat is the secret ingredient in the kitchen. And now Immersion circulators, the Namiku, can control heat to 0.1 degrees Celsius, and that's incredibly revolutionary. You can hold and control results. You don't go like, oops, I spent too long in the sous vide, now it's messed up. That's never true, because we're cooking at exactly the temperature it wants to be at and never going up or down. Yeah, that was one of the big ideas in researching this is you conventionally think of putting food into boiling water or pan frying it, and there's appropriate times for that. But what often happens is that's a very kind of violent, if you get down to the chemical level, and I'm starting to talk above my pay grade here a little bit, but um, that just can really drastically alter the food and its condition. And this lower temperature for perhaps a longer period of time seems to really be where the impact's made. Exactly. And I found all out all about it from working at these elite restaurants. And I really lusted after them. Like I saved up money to buy my own $2,000 immersion circulator. And then I met um, my co-founder, um, who is now also my husband and baby daddy, Abe. And uh, we went on a date and I was like, oh, I'm saving up money to buy one of these things. And he said, oh, we could just go to the hardware store and make a prototype. And that's what happened. And that's what brought us here now. So let's get into like the genesis of the business that obviously that first prototype was kind of the launching point. But what's curious here, and this this is one of the themes with entrepreneurs of ter in terms of seeing where the puck's going, not where it is right now, uh, to use an overused analogy. This isn't something that many people are even aware of exists or necessarily see other people like often it's aspirational like you go to your friend's kitchen oh they have that cool instrument or tool before the namaku it, it wasn't something that many people were even aware of so what gave you the confidence that this would grow in popularity and be something that uh chefs around the country and around the world would want in their kitchens the thing is, chefs around the world, around the country, already used it in their kitchens. They just used a very, very, very expensive one that was very clunky and not reliable. Uh, with our design, we've made it much smaller, much more reliable, and we manufacture right here in San Francisco to give it that durability. So um, with chefs, I was already very confident. Now, when it came to home kitchens, I knew that my goal in life was always to eradicate every obstacle between you and the delicious plate of food. And this just happened to be the perfect way to do it. If there was any other way, I'd be doing it at, you know, at scale. If I was a chef, I couldn't do it at scale. If I was, um, let's say, making packaged foods, 
Well, there was no way I could guarantee that it would taste so perfect in your home, except with sous vide. And actually, that's what my company's doing right now. We have food that goes with the machine. You wave it in front of the machine and it automatically recognizes the time and temperature and then you drop it in. We use sous vide technology still, but you don't even have to know that it's sous vide. You just know that it's a magic machine that you wave food in front of and then drop it in. In 30 minutes, you have dinner. Yeah, that's the other kind of crazy part of this company that you're building is when we talk about internet of things and the smart home taking maybe the skill and the talent or someone like me who's uh, worried because I've, I've burnt enough meals to know that I'm not a uh, not a pro this is this is kind of solving for that so can you go into a little bit more detail about the internet integration with this technology Certainly. So now my sous vide machine, Namiku, is uh, paired with Wi-Fi. So it's Wi-Fi connected and it has RFID. And each one of the food packets we send you also has RFID on it. So each RFID is basically like a key to a locker in the sky. So we store all of the information in the cloud. And whenever you tap the RFID sensor to the machine, it automatically recognizes which locker to open. It understands the time and temperature to cook the machine at, uh, to cook the meals at. And then we can know exactly what nutrients are inside of the food uh, we can go as deep as sourcing like we know exactly what farm it came from um, what time it was cooked what time it was shipped out so we control the entire supply chain of data and is that something where anyone across the across the united states can get this food delivered or, or how does that work is, is vacuum sealed does that mean it lasts longer it's vacuum sealed and it's frozen, so it lasts for six months. So you eat food when you want to. Um, it's not a matter of, oh, I got to eat all of this now or else it'll go bad. Right now, it's available only in California, uh, and we have plans for national expansion next year. Awesome. And you actually just raised uh, Series A and previously were part of Y Combinator. Can you talk about the impact of building a company in the San Francisco environment and the challenges or the, or the benefits of building a company in that world? I've never raised a Series A. <laughs> um, really? I, but I have gone through Y Combinator. Yeah, I haven't raised a Series A. I think my company, basically, um, we've, we've shipped three hardware devices for raising under $5 million. That's unheard of. That's just like lean, insane uh, lean insane growth. Like we used our revenue um, to put back into the company to make things. I, our our company is probably the most capital efficient <laughs> hardware company on planet Earth. Plus we do the software. Plus we do the food. Um, I think that Silicon Valley really doesn't understand the kitchen and what people want in food. Um, and people who have invented kitchen devices don't necessarily have a food background or understand consumer behavior around food. And I'm a first time entrepreneur. I started this company when I was 22. Um, I'm 30 now. <laughs> and when I started it, I had no reputation. I was a lot like you, Aaron, in that I you know, did all the right things, went to, went to college, um, uh, staged, uh, that means like you know, practice in kitchens, um, did my internships. And I looked at, I looked around, I was like, this is it. This is real life. This is actually what you do for a career. You sit in front of a computer and nobody gives you any direction. And I was like, this really sucks. <laughs> I might as well do something absolutely crazy on my own and, and make it myself. I, I was exactly where you were. So was there someone that pushed you in that direction? Was it just the, you couldn't get the idea of, of, getting this type of technology in more people's hands, what drove you to that point of, all right, I'm going to start off on my own? It was, it was just crazy that nobody else was doing it. 
I, I was like, this, this machine, it's such a miracle. It makes food so perfectly and nobody else cares. It's that, that's, that, that like drove me crazy. Like that made me lose sleep. (laughs) And then I thought, you know what, maybe there are people working on it and they just aren't moving as fast as I can. And I wanted to get it out there because it was inevitable. When you discover something like this, where you can make every single thing that you cook super delicious, that is like, that's like a gold rush. There's going to be people who are going to come after it. And I have to be the first. I love it. Um, this is more also than just meat. We kind of use that as the initial example, but veggies, is the, it, can, it can run the gamut. Can you talk about some of the other, maybe your favorite meals? I know you put out a cookbook all around this topic, but uh, some of your favorite meals for sous vide. Yes, um, I did put out a cookbook. It's called Sous at Home. It's one of the best-selling things from our my imprint, Ten Speed Press. So um, what I really love is I love eggs sous vide. That's pretty awesome. Uh, I love doing brunch and then just having a perfect egg on top. And people are like, how did you even do that? I'm like, I'm sous vide. And they're like, yeah, we, we guessed. <laughs> we guessed with sous vide. Um, I really like uh, making an ice cream base with sous vide. One of my favorite things actually is uh, making my own gin with the Namiku. So I take vodka or a clear based spirit and then I add my own botanicals according to the season. Like for springtime, I love, for springtime, I really, really love lavender. And when I have jasmine, I put some jasmine in there or some rose petals. It's, I make really good gin with, um, with my machine. I put it at a very low temperature so that the alcohol doesn't dissolve. But we get all of the we get all of the botanicals infused inside of it. That sounds so good. You must have a massive networking advantage in terms of just meeting people. Where when you can host an amazing dinner with all these recipes and and get people in the door and stir up some good feelings. For sure. I mean, food brings everyone together. It's it's the best language in the world. It's the language that everybody speaks, and I can talk to anyone using it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, Well, this has been fantastic. I want to talk a little bit about the dynamics or or maybe just frankly, the challenges of starting a company. Um, One of the things that is easy to tell the story of are the successes, the big wins, all the commendations and and awards that you've won and and been recognized for. But entrepreneurship is often also something of a battle. There are obstacles, there are setbacks along the way. So I'm curious um, if if there's any that come to mind specifically that you can talk about as you've been building this company over the last eight years that you've had to overcome and learn from. You just, well, for me, I had to really... um accept no as an uh, like uh, accept that a lot of people were going to say no to me even even though that the solution is really obvious so many people will say no to you that you're going to feel that you're crazy and the the number one piece of advice i give to to anybody who asks for it is that you're right i'm like you're actually right it's just a matter of how unreasonably long are you going to go on thinking that you're right about this because fundamentally the market will accept anything that is a polished and good product. And your product will get polished as you bruise yourself over and over again, going to market, going in front of investors. And I've gotten so many no's. Like, it really makes you think like, well, maybe I shouldn't continue. But the thing is, is you decide whether or not you continue or not. That's something that I learned. Nobody else, like you can't blame anybody else for saying no to you. Oh, this investor said no, so I'm not going forwards. Like, that's not, 
that's not how that works. You just keep going and going and going. People are like, well, how do you even keep going if you don't have money? You know, you don't announce that your company's, you don't announce that your company closes <laughs> if you don't have money. Like, it's all about like, hey, can you keep working and going towards it? Um, for me, that's what I discovered because some people said no to me that I really thought that I was going crazy. Was there like a common no or ridicu- like a particularly ridiculous no that you heard along the way? Um, the most common no is that nobody sees a market for what I'm doing. And that is absolutely ridiculous because the adoption rate for sous vide machines has surpassed that of the internet, the cell phone, and the home computer, the personal computer. It's surpassed all three of those high adoption technologies. Like, it's completely insane. I'm like, look at the data. (laughs) I'm bigger than Apple in adoption. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, everyone eats, everyone has a kitchen. So that that is definitely, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people, everyone eats and everyone prepares food for themselves. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the confluence of big data and the kitchen. Uh, there's a lot of other parts. One thing we've explored in previous episode, episodes of the show is how big data affects advertising or the world of finance. But the kitchen is kind of an interesting place. We see other players HelloFresh just announced they're going public. Uh, Amazon just bought Whole Foods. There seems to be a descent by a lot of tech companies into the kitchen and the insights that can be gleaned from getting data around people's eating habits, their food preferences, um, and, and further on down the rabbit hole. You are in a really interesting position with a piece of technology that people could be using regularly for different meals and also just in terms of being able to collect usage rates and collect different recipes that people like in your app. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about the role that data will have on the kitchen in the coming decade? Yes, we we are collecting a deep, deep, deep amount of data. It is insane the, the progress that we've had about data. The thing about it is that the only purpose it should ever serve is to make consumers happier, to make people who already have an Amiku even love it even more. You shouldn't, I would never ever sell data that I collect, like when you turn on the machine, what food you're eating, if you are using the app, companion app to create your own recipes versus using my food. Those are things that we collect and we save in order to make you happier. Like, oh, I see you cooked chicken breast at four in the morning. A lot of other people who cook cook chicken breast at four in the morning also are paleo and they do CrossFit. Maybe you'd like these other meals that these other folks are eating right now. Like that's one use that I see for data. I could not see data for any other thing but to personalize and make your relationship with your technology better. It shouldn't be used for anything else. And I consider it very sacred and private. Um, And we have a lot of security around our Wi-Fi in particular and data collection to ensure that. I love it. I would love any sort of form of, hey, you're going to love this food based off of what, you're, what you've been eating and your general eating preferences. I, I, maybe, maybe that's naivete, uh, but that sounds pretty enticing to me. Uh, one last kind of question before we aim towards wrapping up here, Lisa. I, I don't know if we actually got the price of the Nomaku or what previous sous vide um, setups were costing. So can you just give the numbers on that comparison? Sure. So previous devices were $2,000 and up. Our standalone sous vide device, if you just buy it from 
uh, Williams-Sonoma or Amazon could range from $199 to $249. But this is the this is the amazing part. If you go to souschef.namiku.com and you're in California for our food program, our devices are only $49 when you use our food program. $49. That's like the least expensive sous vide machine on the market ever. That's made in the United States. It has a heater uh, that's a PTC heater that never burns out for $49. We are able to take it down now because we have this food program. And that's that's tremendously democratizing for folks who just want to eat well. That's awesome. Where are the actual sous vide machines made? They're made in San Francisco. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're going to link this all in the show notes for people um, so that they can check it out. And maybe, you know, Christmas is coming. It seems like a pretty enticing gift to get someone. Before we wrap up with the last two questions, Lisa, is there anything that you were hoping to say today that I didn't give you a chance to? Hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd just like to reiterate that you, if you have an idea that you feel is absolutely works for you, absolutely works for you and you want to give it to everybody else, you're right. It's not too niche. In fact, it's better to be niche. Um, Y Combinator has a saying that has a saying that goes, do things that don't scale, uh, which means that, to me, it just means that you have to make your product work first before you scale it, because what's the point of scaling a product that people don't want or people can't get around? And if something really, really works for you and it's like it feels like magic, you're onto something so, so special. And you can't let people who say, well, how does it scale or, uh, or it's not going to, I don't see a market for that, neg you into not doing it because there's always a market for what you do. Just look at what's in the market right now. Just 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 go on to Amazon and see the crazy things that people buy. There's always a market for your thing. You have to just truly, truly believe and continue with it for a very unreasonable amount of time. <laughs> I love it. And it is a testament to your persistence and determination um, eight years of battling to get this company where it is and, and wherever it's going in the future, I'm going to be excited to follow along. If other people want to do so, Lisa, what digital coordinates can we point them towards? You can come to uh, souschef.namiku.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Namiku. And uh, we have an Instagram, eatnamiku. Love it. We'll be sure to link that in the show notes, going deep with Aaron.com slash podcast is going to be the place to find that for this and every episode of the show. But as we do at the end of each episode, Lisa, I want to wrap up by giving you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. Do one small thing that pushes your company forward today. Um, it could be as small as writing a blog post uh, and keeping yourself accountable to the world about um, what your progress is or what you did today. Uh, that was actually how I got started. I just wrote blog posts and I trolled Twitter for hashtags, which were um, which were close to what I wanted to do. So I searched for a hashtag like slow cooking, hashtag temperature control, such a ha- sexy hashtag, <laughs> a hashtag sous vide. <laughs> and that's where I found my initial um, community and they spurred me forward and they held me accountable. Um, if you have somebody who's holding you accountable for what you want to build, I think that's a great path forward. Were there any other crazy or just kind of out of the box things that you did to get a customer, get a client, or just market yourself and get your name out there? Oh yeah. So <laughs> I had a Kickstarter 
um, when I first when I first made uh, Namiku because nobody would give me money for it. Um, it turned out to be the number one most funded Kickstarter in our category that year. Wow. <laughs> but the, one of the crazy things that we did is that I would um, look on I would look on the Eater heat map uh, um, of which restaurants were very popular in San Francisco. And they were guaranteed to have a line outside the door. And that was my captive audience. I would go to those restaurants and talk to everybody online about what I was making on the line, not not online. I was literally out there, like feet to the pavement, talking to people. I mean, some restaurants got mad, but I was cute enough that I got <laughs> that I got away with it for most restaurants. And that was how I originally got traction was I just spoke to people straight up on the street while they were waiting to eat dinner. I love it, and uh, it, it it speaks to the hustle and the passion that you have for the project. I know people are going to love it. I'm, I know they're going to want to connect and learn more, and I am so thankful for you coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom with us. My pleasure. Great to, great to talk with you, Aaron. We just went deep with Lisa Fetterman. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Please hit that subscribe button if you've not already done so. And if you have, why don't you just share this episode with a friend or share another episode with a friend, share this show with a friend. It is good. You must be enjoying it. You've either subscribed or you've been listening for a while. And who is that one person in your life that you share funny links with, memes, maybe you text each other? Who needs to know about this podcast and doesn't yet. It would mean the world to me if you could make that share. My birthday's coming up. It's November 9th, and it would just be a nice thing to do. Um, even if you don't care about my birthday in any way, shape, or form, I'd really appreciate a share. Um, and if you want to copy me in that, I'm on Twitter at AaronWatson59. You know where I am. I'd love to be copied on it, or you could just do it privately, whatever is better for you, but it would mean the world to me. Other than that, we have some fantastic guests coming down the pipe entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, blockchain aficionados, and more. So keep it tuned to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.